Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is by you. Thanks so much for tuning into Line Drive Radio on this Tuesday edition, October 26th, World Series Preview edition here on Line Drive Radio. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the board here in New York, baby. And it's time, as always, to bring in my Line Drive Radio teammate, Mr. Tab Bamford. Tab, what's going down in Chi-Town? Well, Paul, you know, it is chilly. Um, right now we're looking at uh, a Blackhawks team that is winless, a Bears team that is frustrating, and a Bulls team that looks good. So if you're a baseball fan, you really only have one thing to focus on, uh, and that's the offseason, uh, which starts uh, in uh, you know either November 4th or at some point between now and then. Because the World Series is about to kick off this evening on Fox with the uh, the Atlanta Braves and Houston Astros going at it. And then there were two. And here we are, pal. It's been a uh, a fun baseball season, no doubt about it, especially here at Line Drive Radio, our debut season here in the podcast world. And uh, we've seen a lot of stuff this year, no doubt about it. And we have the two best teams no, I don't know if anybody's put any air quotes. I think uh, both these squads have earned it no matter what uh, the Braves did in the regular season. Uh, and uh, I tell you, Tab, it's kind of funny. A couple things here. You have the Astros, which are outside of Houston, probably the most hated team in baseball, <coughs> especially here <coughs> in New York <clears throat> uh, and in others. And then on the other yeah. side, you have... You know, the beginning of the season, the all state of Georgia, the All-Star game, getting it moved out of there for, you know, political discourse and so on and so forth. And here, the Atlanta Braves are hosting the World Series after all that stuff, too, as well. It's kind of unique that these two teams have kind of found their way to play each other. Uh, we'll get into what they do on the field, but off the field, as far as they're looked upon or this this particular season, I don't think anything particular as far as, you know, the Braves organization, the Braves players, teams. But uh, with all that happened with the All-Star game, and then again, like I said, you have the, the you know, the probably maybe the little bit of the taint on the Astros getting back to the World Series. But uh, just get your takes there on, on these two teams that we have lining up against each other with those couple of thoughts that I just brought up. Yeah, I mean, we'll start with Atlanta because I think that there's a lot more going on there, um, which is crazy to say that there's more going on with Atlanta than what people think about the Houston Astros. But, you know, 
um, they start the season, and most people thought that they were the front runner in the National League East. It did not start well. I think it took them 111 games to get to first place this year. Um, they lost, as you said, the All-Star game. That was moved out of there. But that had nothing to do with the Braves organization specifically as much as it was Major League Baseball hearing the outcry from fans about the uh, constrictive uh, voter legislation that was passing in the state of Georgia and saying we're not here for it and moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta. So that, you know, it hurts the Braves. It hurt their their back pockets. uh, It hurt the surrounding area. Uh, I'll let you and the listeners decide how much of an economic impact it not being in the suburbs of Atlanta where the Braves now play uh, hurt that, but it, you know, it was a little bit of a mark there. And then, you know, early in the season you had the Marcelo Zuna situation where he had the, you know, first the, the broken hand and then the domestic issue that led to him not wearing a Braves uniform again this year. Then you had the Ronald Acuna injury, which led to the Braves completely overhauling their outfield out of necessity, uh, which ultimately paid great dividends for the Braves with Eddie Rosario winning the National League Championship Series MVP, one of the guys that they brought in at the deadline. Um, And then you're going to go in front of a national audience and have uh, a lot of fans not thrilled with uh, the chop that they still do in Atlanta. And I think a lot of people don't realize, uh, Paul, that the chop chant and and hand motion that they do at Braves games, A, did not originate as a Braves thing, and B, was not like a longtime Braves tradition. It is now. It's considered that now. But Braves fans started doing the chop when they acquired Deion Sanders. Uh, in the early 90s because they loved what Dion brought to the field and because Dion went to college where? Florida State, where they do the chop, where it originated. Yep. And so it's a, it, it was a Dion thing that stuck. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a lot going on with the Atlanta Braves. I think we've talked throughout this year about how just, they handle Just listening to you saying the Dion, just, just picturing that circle of life, <laughs> that whole story. Mm-hmm. Oh man, and the and and the games will be played in prime time. Uh, no, but <laughs> um, no, I, I mean we've talked throughout this year about how much better we felt about how the Braves effectively dismissed Marcelo Zuna from the team immediately in the wake of the domestic violence allegations, versus how the Braves dealt with the Trevor Bauer situation. Um, when they got through the deadline, we talked about, you know, why would the Braves go for it with where they were in the standings? It felt like you're going to bring in, if you include Jack Peterson, who was a couple weeks before the deadline, four new outfielders. felt like a lot um, for where they were again. Not in first place, still chasing in the standings. But they were able to get their pitching healthy and get a mix in that outfield that worked. And here they are in the World Series for the first time since 1999, and, you know, we, when we were leading up to the postseason and talking about the National League least, as we called it this year, division, there were a couple times that I almost ingest, and then the more I thought about it, the more I bought the rationale, that the winner of the East was actually sitting in the catbird seat 
when it got to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Because in the first round, they would get the Milwaukee Brewers, whose offense, nothing really for many people during the regular season, and it failed them miserably in the playoffs. And then they would get a Dodgers or Giants team that was going to have to go through a you know a bell ringer of a series against each other. And their pitching would be questionable coming out of that series. And ultimately, I think, you know, it was it, the grab bag pitching that the Dodgers had to put on the mound that benefited Atlanta tremendously in that series. And so here the Braves are. They win what many would consider the, the worst division in baseball this year and then steamroll their way to a World Series appearance. So, you know, Brian Snitker is a terrific manager. He's a lifer. He's been in the Braves organization for years, and I'm thrilled for him getting to, to go out there. I'm thrilled for Ron Washington, who I think that there are going to be a number of jobs, Mets, that he would be a great fit in. Uh, if someone wants to give him another run, he's a fungo god. It's not even debatable. Uh, but it, it, this Braves team, a lot of their guys are really fun to watch. Ozzy Albies is a lot of fun to watch. Freddie Freeman is just about as professional as it gets, and he's going into a free agency period this offseason. So, there's a lot to like about the Atlanta Braves. And then on the other side, you have the Houston Astros, who are still coming out of the PR nightmare that was the uh, the Todd Rundgren era, if you if we want to keep calling it that, the bang-on-a-drum uh, era, where they were found and admittedly cheaters. And what did they do? They went and hired the perfect guy to tell the players to just go play and I'll handle it. That's Dusty Baker, who's looking for his first World Series championship. After getting there with a few teams in the past, I think he'll eventually be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, He's one of the most laid-back, chill guys whose baseball life should be a 30-for-30 at some point, hopefully while he's alive so he can enjoy it and celebrate it with all of us because this guy's baseball life is an incredible story. Uh, the guys that he's played with, the guys that he's managed, the generations that he's interacted with. But you, so you, you want to cheer for Dusty, but you don't want to cheer for the Astros. Uh, you don't like the chop. You don't like the laws in Georgia. But the Braves team is a lot of fun to watch. My middle son is terribly conflicted because his two favorite players are Alex Bragman and Ozzie Albies. Um, so off the field stuff, there's a lot going on here on the field. I think this sets up for a really compelling series. Uh, And it was on this date that Kirby Puckett hit the walk-off home run for the Minnesota Twins against the Atlanta Braves. And what I would argue is probably, I ranked it on Twitter, the the second best World Series of my lifetime behind 2016. And I don't think that we'll ever see a pitching matchup. Sure as hell aren't going to now with the way that they're weaponizing bullpens starting in the fourth inning. Mm-hmm. the way that Smoltz and Jack Morris went at it in the final game of that series. I mean, that was arguably, and I would argue in favor of, that was the best-pitched game in the history of the World Series. So um, this sets up to be a, a really intriguing series. Uh, I think that the teams are matched up incredibly well. And it's going to be a lot of fun to see who ultimately is able to have enough pitching and produce the right timely offense to actually get it done and hoist a trophy at some point again between today and the 3rd of November if this thing goes the distance. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, before we uh, get into uh, looking at this World Series that's on tap, before we do that, Ted, we have to ask the question with regards to the Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox. What went wrong? Let's try and figure out what went wrong. As they sit now on the outside, watching 
And they sat home, planned their golf outings, rest and vacation, Thanksgiving dinners and all that other stuff. What I want to ask you, Tab, when you, you know, you we, we somebody's got to lose, you know, and it starts at the, the wild card game there and you, you have this long season and all the drama and we talked about it extensively as far as the, you know, the wall, the wild card and everything else. And then you look at the Braves and how they benefited, even though having a, not as good a season as some of the other, you know, top teams that went in here to, to, to play in the, the championship series. And, you know, here they are in the World Series. But, you know, when you get when it gets down to it, and then as teams start to fall out and get knocked out of uh, the wild card and then the, the division series and, and we move forward here, um, you know, it's like I, I want to bring this up too because, you know, the team like the Yankees, how they were looked at and the – the questions about Boone and everything else. And, and, the, and the Red Sox were struggling before they got in. And then they kind of turned it on. And then they get into the, you know, the championship series. And then they lose to Houston. And, you know, same thing. The Dodgers have this amazing uh, season and a, gr- a great series against the Giants. You know, and you, the Giants lose. What went wrong for them? You know, and then here they, they play the Braves. Every, they were the favorite. They're out of it. So from from the wild card teams to the teams that get knocked out before we look into the the, the two division cha- I mean um, league champions here what what went wrong and and is it any different from the each team that gets knocked out per round cuz you know bats go flat stars show up uh key guys just come up with the big hits managers make you know you know the guys like did you know did um you know guys like Cora and um you know, Roberts, they make the same mistakes, say, Boone made in the wild card game, or would, he didn't necessarily make any particular mistakes. You know, what, you know, who's injured, all this stuff. So what I'm trying to get around is, is you know, when you when you lump all this together, the season, the playoffs, and now, you know, the Dodgers and the Red Sox get knocked out, what went wrong for them as opposed to what went really well here for the Braves and the um, Astros getting into the World Series? So I just want to kind of pick, pick that apart a little bit. Yeah, well, I think... Ultimately, what went wrong for the teams that lost in the two respective league championship series was the teams that won were more comfortable with the approach that they took on the mound than the other team. And when you look at Atlanta, uh, Max Fried has been incredible the second half of the season. Ian Anderson's back. He's throwing well. Charlie Morton ironically rediscovered himself in with with Houston um, but when you know certainly you can make a case that for the Dodgers not having Max Muncy was a game changer and then when Justin Turner left the lineup with the hamstring those are two middle of the lineup bats that they didn't have but the reality for the Braves is all the way back in March when we started line drive radio we talked about the Braves were a team that was going to load up on starting pitching and then figure they had to get three, maybe three and a third out of their bullpen and that they had horses that were going to dominate out of the bullpen because they had Kershaw and Urias and, uh, you know, they're rolling out Trevor Bauer and they've got all, and Walker Bueller and they got Cy Young winners left and right. And they don't know how to figure out, should we have a six man staff? Where do we even slot David Price? We've got a 20 plus million dollar guy coming out of the bullpen. Now what, what gives? As the playoffs evolved, obviously Bauer's gone. Uh, I don't know if we'll see him again. Frankly, I don't care. Uh, But they go out and get Max Scherzer. Big deal. Well, Dave Roberts started to get desperate. And I think that when he ran Scherzer out there out of the bullpen to get past the Giants, 
he didn't realize that the little red light on the dashboard was on and that he was almost out of gas. Mm. And when you look at how the pitching staffs are, are put together here, Snitker had the confidence that he could go with Freed for more than two innings. And Anderson and Morton could give him more than two innings. Hell, they could give him five. And you look at the way that the bullpen games were used by the Dodgers throughout the playoffs and where they were bringing in guys instead of the eighth inning, they were pitching the third inning the way that, you know, Joe Kelly started a game and then had to leave because he was hurt. And then Gratterall has to come in earlier than expected. And I just feel like with Kershaw out of the rotation and then with Scherzer being pretty much out of gas, even though he's one of the elite all-time competitors in, in baseball, you had a team that was not comfortable with how they had to use the pitching that they had, even though they'd spent so much money and time and effort investing everything into their pitching staff. And the Braves were able to be more, a little bit more traditional with how they did things. Houston, on the other hand, had depth and they had guys like Orchidi, who's going to pitch probably game three on 10 days rest, Garcia Valdez, guys who were used to the idea of a three to four inning start. And then they had guys that were used to that middle role. And I think that it was just a matter of Dusty Baker and Snitker were both more comfortable with how they were able to use their pitching in a series than the way that Cora and Roberts were. Uh, And then obviously injuries, you know, Devers obviously was playing hurt. Um, You know, we already mentioned the injuries for the Dodgers. J.D. Martinez was coming off the sprained ankle. So you had some guys who weren't 100% in the lineup. But at this point in the year, nobody's 100%. It's cliche, but it's real. Nobody's 100% right now. And so both teams, I mean, look, the Braves didn't have Jorge Soler for most of the NLCS because he was in COVID protocol. And he's a big bat in their lineup. He's a 50-homer caliber guy. And that made them rely on a much more left-hand dominant outfield, which, again, it worked out because Eddie Rosario had the series of his life. But it all comes back to pitching. And I think, you know, as much as the game is working its way away from traditional starting pitching, at the end of the day, starting pitching wins games. Because when you start having to go to your bullpen in the third or fourth inning every single night, you like having the these guys pitching in specific roles against specific parts of the lineup and familiarity breeds contempt and familiarity in baseball usually leads to improvement. And if you're playing a seven game series and you got to go to the guy who's a lefty specialist in the third inning and it's the fourth game of the series and the lefty part of your lineup has already seen this guy two or three times they pretty much know what how he's going to attack them. If your starter can give you five or six, then it changes things. Then maybe you don't have to use that lefty specialist in the same leverage situation or ask him to get you more than three or four guys out. So that's where things start to change, and, and I think it comes back to which pitching staff was physically able to be there and better prepared to pitch in traditional roles and in roles that they were ready, willing, and able to accept going into the series. And now you've got teams that are going to line up with 
fully rested guys. I think everybody's going to be at least five days rest. As I said, Urquidy, if he goes in game three, is going to be 10 days rest. You're going to have well-rested starting pitching for the first three games of the series before maybe you got to go bullpen in, in game four. But, you know, game four, you're looking at at least three days rest for the guys who go in game one. So maybe, depending on how long their outing is, maybe you could get something out of Morton and Valdez in game four on Saturday night. So, Again, it comes back to which teams are able to play their game, another cliche, but which teams are able to play their game and stay consistently on the script that got them there versus the teams that had to adjust and ad-lib with all of the chips on the table. And I just I don't feel like at the end of the day with the way that the Red Sox starters, with the exception of Vivaldi, were limited and the way certainly that the Dodgers' hodgepodge of starting pitching in that series were able to be used, that the, the bullpens were just leveraged too much, too frequently, and the bats ultimately got used to and accustomed to and better knowledge of how those pitchers were going to attack them, and it came back to bite them in the ass. So I think that it, it was really the same thing that went wrong for both teams. It, some key guys were hurt, but at the end of the day, it came down to pitching, and I think pitching is going to be equally important in this World Series to see which of these guys – especially young guys and Freed and Anderson more so than Charlie Morton and Garcia and Valdez and Urquidy are how they're able to elevate their game and give their managers what they need and go deep enough in games that you're not taxing the bullpen to the point that game four, if it is a bullpen game for both teams, you're running on fumes and you don't know what you're going to get and you're begging for somebody to give you two innings and nobody can. Yeah, good stuff there, Tev. I mean, as far as breaking it down and everything else, and, and I'm just kind of, uh, you know, throwing this at you as the casual baseball fan or even the diehard baseball fan, too. I think what happens is when your team gets knocked out or your team, you know, I'm, again, I'm going to river back here to the Yankees and stuff you know, with everything that went on here in the Bronx and everything, and then, you know, Boone getting the extension and their expectations and everything else. You know, if you're a fan of the game and your team drops out, and then you, if you don't watch how the baseball player playoffs proceed and you don't see the other managers go through the same difficulties maybe your manager just went through in terms of not advancing. Uh, the other team's hitters getting stymied by the other team's pitching. That's a your team went through. You know, when you get to kind of see that all these teams basically go through the same process up until the point where you get a winner here uh, in the World Series, I just think that's something that, you know, you, you'd wish that or, or hope that maybe every fan, you know, once, once the playoffs start, you stay with it, watch it, hang in there, understand it, see what, what it takes to get there to win. You know, you can, you can be a fan of a franchise, and maybe your franchise is, is always falling short, <clears throat> the Mets, um, or uh, the Pirates, or, you know, you're a team that's always used to winning on the Yankees, but you, you haven't won in a long time, and you're sitting there going, why, or, you know, why didn't things line up for this, you know, that or that, and then you, know, you look at the Giants, and so on and so forth, and the Dodgers, back and forth. I'm just saying now myself, too, just watching how these these series have unfolded, and you go, well, look at this. These guys are dealing with the same thing. It still comes down to basic fundamental baseball, incredible communications between your manager, and, and making right decisions. Obviously, there's going to be some luck in there, and some baseball has great moments of chance and opportunity and weird foul balls and you know balls going in certain directions, fans getting in the way, all kinds of stuff like that. And then ultimately, the guys in the lineup have to produce. 
the hitters have to out-bat the pitchers. The pitchers have to get the batters out. Your relief players, you know, your your middle relief, your closers. I mean, it's it's totally... Baseball is an ensemble. It's one of the best team sports out there in the world. And uh, it, it really... Uh, it's it's so important, and, and especially from the front office, from like what you were talking about too, um, the, the moves the Braves made um, that that ultimately have, have got them here. So it, it takes everything, and I think that's the beauty of baseball. It's and whether you hate the Astros or you hate the Braves or whatever it is, or you're not interested in it, I think most diehard baseball fans. You know, you're gonna watch this. It's America's pastime. It's the World Series. But if you're not, you gotta tune in. Because this is what it's all about. Because ultimately, in baseball in its simplest form is, it's such a you. It takes a cast of everyone to get there to the other side, and you can see how difficult it is. Um, and it's all got to click, and it's got all got to work together. So what I'm trying to say here too is, when I say what went wrong, and you get to what went right for the two teams that are in it, uh, ultimately for me, that's the beauty of baseball. That's the magic of it. It's such a long season. Uh, you know, and again, you have um, a full roster, your training staff, your managers, your you know, front offices. Everything has to line up. We joke about the Mets and their front office and stuff, but it's it's so incredibly important for them to move forward, and that's where it starts to get to the last strike or the last at bat. Uh, for victory, so it's uh, it's just pretty awesome. So I think you know before we get into looking at the series on tap, that's why I wanted to kind of throw it out there and just maybe give that uh, you know everybody step back here and look a little look look at the whole big picture a little bit as we get down to the last two teams. Yeah, and I've said this before on the show, Paul. The the sex appeal of baseball isn't for the diehard fan and those who have played the game for big chunks of their life. The casual fan, the sex appeal is going to be the 500-foot home run. But where the where the interest really drives and becomes deeper is on the chess match that happens between the two managers. And what we have on tap in this World Series is two teams that really play an old-school brand of baseball. These are teams that will steal bases, heaven forbid, these are teams that know when to take the extra base. These are teams that run the bases incredibly well. These are teams that are just as happy with a double in the gap as they are with a 480-foot jack. Um, these are teams that will hit and run all day, and their batters will put the ball where it needs to be put. And I think that, that that's really what I think I'm most excited about with this series is if a guy walks or a guy hits a single, you're going to have to pay attention to the guy on first because he might take off. And if there's a guy on second, you can't shift fully on a right-handed hitter because the guy might slap it the other way and drive the run in with a single to right if you leave too much infield open. And that's what that's where you really you start to get deep into baseball. I think we've We've simplified baseball to the true outcomes, the walk, the strikeout, and the home run, and we've become more obsessed with the the details in football, with the X's and O's and what each individual is doing on each individual play. And the reality is, and I tell this to my kids' travel teammates all the time, every you should know how the pitcher is going to pitch the guy. And if we're going to throw outside, you should be playing him the other way a little bit because that's generally where the ball is a good hitter is going to put it. 
and you should pitch to where your defense is aligned and you should defend the way that you're going to pitch guys. And you're going to see two really good defensive teams in this series and teams that are going to put the ball in play and make, and there's going to be a lot of action on the bases. And I think that's, what's really exciting is this is going to be an old school. There'll still be home runs. I mean, Jorge Soler and Jordan Alvarez aren't going to get cheated. Let me be clear, but you're going to see a lot of movement on the bases. You're going to see a lot of hit and run. You'll see guys stealing bases and you'll see managers that are going to play to where things need to be. And you look back at that Red Sox series for the Astros. And there were a couple times that there were huge caught stealings. There was one in the last game for the Red Sox where they had Houston on the ropes. They had first and third with one out and they tried to steal on a one, two count and got to strike them out, throw them out. And that totally deflated a rally yeah. ended an inning. And then Houston goes on to run away with it. Mm-hmm. And that's not, uh, you know, how the Red Sox play. The the Red Sox are not, you know, single steal, single run scored. They're blooping a blast. They're the old Earl Weaver <laughs> <laughs> mantra for the uh, both Orioles fans out there that listen. So that that's what excites me about this series is you're going to have a an old school. And I'm not saying that you know throw the analytics out and let's go all the way back to you know, the uh, Whitey Herzog days. But where you're at right now in baseball, a lot of it is dependent on those three true outcomes. And these are two teams that buck that trend and and do things the way that they've always been done. And I think you'll be, have to pay attention to guys on the bases. You'll have to pay attention to where the defense is lined up and how guys are being pitched, setting up the next at bat, the batter immediately following them in in the lineup. And then the next time that they see a guy going through the order, and that's just the way that these two teams do business, and that's what won them their respective pennants, and that's what's exciting about this World Series. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. It's good stuff. And, and you know, uh, you know, you brought up the uh, the Minnesota Braves series there in the early 90s and stuff, and I'm you know, the older guy on this uh, team here uh, at Long Drive Radio, and it's it's one of the most memorable uh, World Series. I remember them uh, watching them. And, and when it's all said and done, like especially when the players don't come through, and you get into a pitching matchup like that, I mean, Tom Kelly and Bobby Cox, as far as managers back then, and that that you know, when you say chess match, like you said earlier, it is, and that is just that is to me. Forget you know, I would almost you take away home runs, you take away the the bombs and all that kind of. I mean, you can. You can take some of that stuff away, and it is. It's thrilling. Game-winning series, winnings, home runs. But, man, when you when you get into tense fielding, defense, uh, making decisions, and you get deep into the game, fifth, sixth inning, it's just – that's what I remember from those, uh, those games back then, and I think that's just – those are my favorite. They're gut-wrenching. But, man, that's just um, – that's an art form itself. And you look at Snitker here and, and Baker that are going to go at it here too. And as this series moves on, and as these two teams will play each other here, and if there's some stalemates in certain instances, and, you know, you bring up base stealing and all that, all those little things and those decisions, these two guys are ultimately going to be a huge part of this series just as much as the players on the field. Absolutely. And that that's what's exciting. You don't want – to have uh, the managers be the story, but they are inevitably. And when managers are making the right decisions, it's great. When the managers are not, um, it's also great for people like us that want to talk about it and second guess and everything else. But 
you've got a couple managers here. Snitker, obviously, at the major league level at least, has a much shorter resume than Dusty does. But these are a couple guys that game plan and, you know, execute strategy incredibly well. And that's why they're here. So I'm looking forward to how this series evolves and watching the decisions that these guys make and talking with you and other folks uh, out there on the Twitterverse and everything else that uh, it's going to be a fun one to watch because there's going to be a lot to talk about. Well, let's do it, man. Here we go. America's pastime, baby. The big series is finally here. Braves, Astros, and and, and another thing here too, Tap. These this series is going to be played at two, as far as I'm concerned. Two of the most beautiful, big ass stadiums in the league: Truist Park and Minute Maid Park. Relatively all, both of them brand new ballparks and uh, holding forty one thousand plus each. Um, they are majestic stadiums, man, and they're gorgeous. Uh, this is going to be something else too. So. Set the table here, Tab. Here we go, man. It's uh, it's getting a little chilly. The time is right. But as far as, you know, two Southern Belt teams uh, going at it here, it, it'll be nice, too. I think that's that's another huge thing here for these two teams in this series, especially with the pitchers as well, too. Um, we got, you know, nobody's going to have to go into a cold city up here in the Northeast. Um, you know, so, I mean, this is huge, too, down here in the South Belt. But two, two beautiful stadiums here, man. I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think... You know, before we talk about the guys that are going to be on on the field, let, let's take a fun moment here and talk about the, the the men who will be responsible for being second guessed more than the managers. Me and, and you, the umpire more than me and you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, you know, other than our our wives. Uh, hopefully, nobody <laughs> out there in radio listener land is is jumping on us. But no, so so we know who the umpires are for the series. Tom Hallian's going to be the crew chief. Uh, this is his second World Series. Uh, and the crew that he will be joined by includes Chris Conroy, who's in his first World Series, and he'll be behind the plate tonight for Game 1. So his first uh, chance at, a, at the championship level for Chris Conroy will be behind the plate, so we'll see how his ball and strike calling evolves. Uh, Dan Bellino, also in his first World Series, he'll be behind the plate for Game 4. Ted Barrett, who is the elder statesman on this crew. This will be his fifth World Series. He'll be behind the plate for Game 5. Mitch Muchlinski, his first World Series as well. Uh, he'll get Game 6 if necessary. Uh, Alfonso Marquez, in his fourth World Series, he would get Game 7. And Ron Culpa, who is in his uh, second World Series, will get Game 2. So for those who are intrigued by these things. Again, the home plate assignments for the World Series. Chris Conroy's first World Series are behind the plate for Game 1. Ron Culpa gets Game 2, his second World Series. Tom Hallion, the crew chief, will get uh, Game 3 behind the plate, his second World Series. What could be a decider, Game 4, will be Dan Bellino in his first World Series. Game 5, if necessary, will be Ted Barrett, his fifth World Series. Uh, Mike Muchlinski uh, would get game six behind the plate in his first World Series. And the ultimate game, if necessary, uh, Alfonso Marquez in his fourth World Series would be behind the plate for game seven. So we've got an interesting mix here. We've got three first-timers, a couple doing their second, uh, and then uh, Ted Barrett in his fifth and Marquez uh, doing his fourth. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys uh, handle the pressure 
of their first World Series. It's interesting that games one, four, and six are the first are the newbies, the rookies in the World Series, getting the uh, ball and strike responsibilities. Um, but certainly, I think it, you line it up if you assume that it's not going to be a sweep, which I think, based on how these teams stack up, is a safe assumption uh, that they would get two of the three first-timers out of the way in games one and four. And, Tab, uh, forgive me because I can't recall his name. Is uh, One of the guys here in this uh, umpire lineup, is, is that – the, the guy involved in the uh, the Giants Dodgers closer on the half swing. Is he in this list? I believe he is not. Okay. All right. Now the other thing too is it's got to be pretty. I mean, you know, as a fan too, you know, and and just the game and everything. And I love that you brought up the uh, the starting crew here for the umpires too, because I just think for them themselves. And uh, I'm laughing here because I'm I'm already thinking of Enrico Palazzo and and uh, oh boy. <laughs> But, God save the queen. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, these guys getting uh, suited up, dressed, walking out there, being a part of this, uh, you know, just an incredible focus here uh, on the game. And, and, and the human element uh, in baseball is still very much a part of it. Um, you know, in, in football now, it's pretty much, you know, everything going, video pretty much for everything, hockey too. I mean, just in terms of certain types of call, you know, if it's a goal, if it's not a goal, if it was, you know, a high stick or not. But in baseball here, um, it's a lot of guys out there as far as the most guys, you know. I'm, and again, forgive me, I'm not sure in terms of uh, umpire crews to NFL crews what the, uh, the number is there. But um, this is a big, big moment for these guys too. It's got to be exciting, obviously, just to be out there. You know, this kid, the guy's uh, going to call his first game and, and everything else. And, and, and I like the way, I guess, you know, you can understand how they're strategically placed throughout the series as far as uh, experience. Um, so I get that. But, you know, umpires sometimes deservedly so, but a lot of times not deservedly so. Just get, officiating in general just gets, when it's bad, deservedly so. But for the most part, these games go on year after year, season after season, championship after championship, and the celebrations go on, and these guys just walk off the field. But they're a huge integral part of the the quality of the game, and I just wanted to kind of maybe throw that back to you a little bit in terms of um, you know looking at it from their exa- their their point of view as far as the the players getting suited up being a part of the World Series, but these guys obviously suiting up too. I'm making too much of it, Tim. No, not at all. I think it's a huge privilege for these guys to get the World Series. Obviously, they get a little extra bread in their basket, but if if the managers don't want to be a story, but they can't avoid it, um, the umpires are the exact same, but even more so. These guys do not want anyone tweeting about them. They don't want to see columns written about them. They want to call a good game, and they want to avoid any type, kind of controversy whatsoever, and so... Yeah, uh, you know, but it's worth mentioning who who they are and how many you know World Series they've been a part of in the past because it obviously and absolutely plays a huge role in nerves and how how they you know handle the job. And so, you know, with a first time World Series guy going in Game One, it's going to be very interesting to see how Chris Conroy's strike zone starts, how it evolves, how it finishes, and how consistent he is because it's his first uh, his first shot at calling a World Series game behind the plate. And obviously, by the time you get to Game 4 with Dan Bellino behind the plate, and if you need a Game 6, you know those guys, I think, will be settled in a little bit. And they will have called games and made calls around the bases and been part of 
the atmosphere. But the World Series is a different animal. And if you haven't been to a World Series game, you know, anybody out there listening, I know it's an expensive proposition, but if your team gets a chance, you know, if you can go to a game, the atmosphere is like nothing else. And the atmosphere elevates with each round of the playoffs. And I think there will be plenty of people sitting within earshot of the plate that know the names that I just read off and will know exactly what these guys' tendencies are and will let them know how they feel mm-hmm. about the balls and strikes that are being called. And they won't necessarily be named Baker or Snitker in this instance. They'll be average Joe fans sitting in, well, maybe not average Joe fan, maybe a fluent Joe fan um, sitting in those seats where they can hear him. Um, but no, it, it's a big honor for the Blue. Um, and they want to avoid the spotlight. They want to avoid the headlines and the columns and the Twitter analysis as best as they possibly can. Uh, and I think we're all hoping that the umpires are not a story, but it's the offense, the defense, and the pitching that we're talking about after each game and caring about when the dust settles and somebody gets to kiss a trophy. Oh, wow. Kissing trophies. I like doing that. I haven't done that myself personally in a long time, Dad, since I was a, a wee lad in my 20s. Long time ago. Which, 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 which trophy was it? Was it Lord Stanley? Nah. No, I was talking about my own championship teams when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, well. I've had the, uh, my oldest son and I have had the privilege of uh, being in the presence of the Stanley Cup on three separate occasions uh, when the Chicago Blackhawks won and they allowed season ticket holders to take photos with the cup. Only took the oldest son the first time, and then it was the wife and, and the middle one that joined me for the second and third. Um, and then I, I've, I've had a chance to see and, and maybe touch, don't tell anyone because they had to wipe the fingerprints off, uh, the commissioner's trophy for baseball on a couple occasions because they usually have it out at FanFest at the All-Star Game for photo ops. So, uh, you know, I, all, of, all of the trophies, I think that certainly baseball's is the most intricate um, with the most pieces that will undoubtedly be broken at some point. Uh, they didn't get out of the locker room when the Cubs won in one piece. Uh, it's certainly less sturdy than the Stanley Cup or, you know, the NFL's Lombardi Trophy, which are pretty solid. You know, obviously the Lombardi's one piece. Stanley Cup's a little bit bigger, but it's getting poured out of and not into. Uh, so, you know, we've got different trophies um, and, this one, I think, is beautiful. If you get a chance to see it in person in Chicago, they've got the 2016 trophy on display, and you can take pictures with it right outside of Wrigley Field every day. So uh, beautiful trophy. And one of these two teams, the Braves or Astros, will get to hoist it, and we hope that we care about that trophy presentation and we're not complaining about a strike call or a check swing as we have this October already. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, I've been lucky enough to, uh, you know, I've same thing with the Stanley Cup, uh, some st- All Star games and stuff like that when the Cups went out, and uh, I have walked past the Commissioner's Trophy a couple of times uh, up at the old uh, VIP Club at the old Shea Stadium a few years ago. Very Ooh. dusty, very dusty. <laughs> Rarely used. <laughs> Rarely used. <laughs> Oh, man. They should Good just stuff. name it the Seinfeld exhibit, right? Oh. For VIPs that are Mets fans? Both of them? Oh, man. Yeah, too funny. Oh, man. Oh, but it is. Beautiful trophy. So, all right. So, um, why don't we um, – you want to just kind of look at the, the, the first three games here a little bit on the pitchers' matchups in, in terms of uh, how they might match up against each other. Maybe, uh, you, you know, Tab, your quick uh, keys to the series here as far as who's yeah. going to come out on top. 
Yeah, so schedule-wise, you got game one tonight, game two on Wednesday, game three, you get a day off because they're traveling. Then you got game three on Friday, four on Saturday, five on Sunday. So you'll have a Halloween night game in Atlanta. That'll be fun. Uh, game six would be Tuesday, the 2nd of November, and game seven, if it goes the distance, would be Wednesday, the 3rd of November. All the games are on Fox. They all start at 8.09 p.m. Eastern for first pitch, with the exception of Sunday's game five, which would start at 8.15. Which Thanks, is nice television. for the kids. Yeah, you know, why would anybody in the Eastern time zone want to be able to stay up and watch a whole game? Um, <laughs> God bless caffeine, folks. But here we are. So we, while not absolutely concrete because we see how these things go and we just spent time talking about how it went sideways for the teams that are no longer playing the anticipated starting pitching matchups game one you're looking at charlie morton against framber valdez uh the old and young uh, charlie morton uh has history with the astros uh he really uh, created a career renaissance while he was with the astros and then in tampa and he's starting game one of the world series which is exciting for that old man and valdez has really been a, a you know a, a gem for the Astros. Game two, the anticipated starters are Luis Garcia for Houston, who's got the funky uh, Louis Tiant esque windup against Max Fried, who I've already said has been absolutely dominant since uh, the second half started. And then game three, you're looking at Ian Anderson for the Braves and Jose Urquidy for the Astros. And then game four, we're kind of up in the air. But a name that I will throw out there to keep an eye on, one of the two names that was added to the uh, postseason roster for the Braves in advance of the World Series, Kyle Wright was added, as was Terrence Gore. Um, Terrence Gore is really kind of that Dave Roberts guy who can go out and steal you a base and score from first on a double. He's there for wheels to make life hell for pitchers on the bases. He's really a pinch runner um, as needed, which having that kind of speed uh, on the bench is a great weapon for managers. And then Kyle Wright is, a, you know, he, over the past few years, he's been really highly thought of as a minor leaguer, traditionally a starter. Uh, he, you know, when you look at bullpen potential games in game four, Kyle Wright may be a guy who draws in to see if he can give you two or three innings to start game four. And then Zach Greinke for the Astros, another older statesman, uh, might try and dust one off for the Astros. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how those game fours lined up if they want to keep these guys on maximum rest. But the anticipation for games one through three are Morton against Valdez, Freed against Garcia, and Anderson against Rakiti. And, you know, these are all guys who have, you know, now this year been through the ringer a couple of times, uh, two series at least for both series, both teams. Neither are a wild card participant this year. Um, and so, Another thing to keep an eye on here is which pitchers have enough gas left in the tank to go deep, as we talked about with pitching being so critical, mm-hmm. uh, and how do they respond when the going gets tough and which manager is going to have the quicker trigger finger when it comes to going to his bullpen if the going gets tough. So that's what we're looking at out of the gate. Um, I think from a lineup perspective, you're going to be pretty similar for both. The, the biggest addition for the Braves, he came back at the end of the championship series but didn't participate a whole lot. But Jorge Soler is back on the non-COVID uh, part of the roster here. So the big bad will be back for Atlanta. It'll be interesting to see how um, you know Snitker works with that because Jock Peterson was such a big part of what got Atlanta to the World Series playing on the regular, but he's such a great weapon off the bench. 
Um, you know, this is a guy who has played in multiple World Series with the Dodgers previously, and now he's obviously in Atlanta wearing the pearl necklace doing his thing. So it'll be interesting to see how Snitker uses his guys and who gets starts against whom. But that's what we're looking at from a pitching matchup, and I think that it, it sets up for uh, certainly with the exceptions of Morton and if Granke gets a start for Houston – uh, certainly looking at some young guys getting uh, really their first extended exposure under the brightest lights in baseball. And we'll see how they handle that pressure because it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, obviously a couple little storylines that we touched on early too, but uh, um, you know, Alvarez here for Houston and Rosario here for Atlanta, as far as um, you know, their, their MVP status here, uh, you know, maybe touch on that and their storylines. And then, uh, you know, McCullough, as you mentioned before, too, being out. And, um, you know, uh, Solar, too, as well, too, with COVID, too. So, I mean, uh, the, you know, any anything you want to touch on there as far as th- those those players I just mentioned in terms of how their, their impact here on the series? I mean, it's really going to be the whole damn thing here. It doesn't matter. Uh, who's up at the plate or, or uh, on the mound. But um, just your, your take there on a couple of those notes. I mean, look, Alvarez is reminding people of David Ortiz, a big left-handed DH who's just got massive power. Uh, I was joking earlier that my Twitter timeline has been filled with people selling Alvarez cards uh, because apparently stock is up on him. Um, Eddie Rosario is a great story, you know, really an afterthought for a lot of his time in Minnesota with other guys getting more headlines. Tremendous player went to Cleveland and it was just a gong show, gets traded to Atlanta and here he is, you know, with uh, an LCS MVP at home. Great dude. He's part of that Puerto Rican mafia with guys like Lindor and Baez and Edwin Diaz um, and Yadier Molina that played so well together in the World Baseball Classic. And he, now it's his time. And he has grabbed that spotlight and gone with it. And it's really fun to see how he's performed. And, you know, when you talk about Jorge Soler coming back from COVID and Rosario and Jock Peterson – the, the fact that Atlanta went out and completely rebuilt their outfield is really amazing because you see a lot of teams that go for it and it doesn't work. You look at, we talked about the White Sox, Cesar Hernandez didn't work and Craig Kimbrell wasn't what they'd hoped he would be pitching out of the traditional closers role. And Atlanta went for it and many, including the two of us, questioned why they would go for it when they did. And it absolutely clicked. And it's been a, a really amazing how well that Atlanta lineup being completely reconstituted in the middle of the season or with two months left, how well it's gone. And when you look at the bats in the Atlanta lineup, I think Austin Riley is a guy that I circle because he had an MVP caliber season. When he came up initially, it didn't work that well. They were trying to play him in left field. Now he's settled in at third base and he's an absolute monster. Uh, And when you look around the infield, you've got Dansby Swanson, who was a number one overall pick at short for the Braves. And you've got Carlos Correa, who was a number one overall pick playing shortstop for the Astros. Um, Ozzie Albies and Jose Altuve playing second base, two major leaguers who I can proudly say that I am taller than, which is not that (laughs) frequent. But you got two guys who are uh, definitely vertically challenged playing second base. And you've got Yuli Gurriel. Uh, whose father is Cuban royalty on the diamond, uh, playing first base for the Astros against Freddie Freeman, the reigning National League MVP at first for the Braves. So around the around the lineup, you know, you've got Bregman. I didn't mention him at third base. Those infields they match up pretty dead even. It's really amazing how well put together these infields are. And then the the guy that I would circle on the Astros, if I'm circling Austin Riley for the 
Braves, I think Kyle Tucker is the guy that I'm circling for the Astros who, again, called up, didn't necessarily work right away. Um, they tried to figure out how they were going to get him in the lineup every day because they believed in the ability, and he had a huge season, has had a really strong postseason, and he's a young guy who's really establishing himself as kind of that next-generation face of the franchise for the Houston Astros. So um, you got some young guys that are doing some things, and then I think the two guys who will maybe not at the plate, but certainly with a bat in their hand, I should say, at the plate, but at the plate squatted, uh, who will probably be – two of the most important guys in the entire series, Travis Darno for the Braves and Martin Machete Maldonado for the Astros. Um, both guys call an incredibly good game, do a great job back there. Uh, and they're going to be called on, call good, strong games and, and call games that evolve again, because you've got plenty of tape on what these guys are doing to get guys out now. And as I said before, the starters are going to get at least one crack at him, and then you're going to have to go to the bullpen, and those bullpen guys have pitches that they throw. And they're going to be used in certain situations. And how you mix up the, the pitch calling and how they uh, get the confidence of their arms is going to be huge in this series. And I think both catchers do a tremendous job, and so we'll keep an eye on how the catchers do things. But again, you will look around the diamond, and these two teams are so evenly matched up. I, I really think that on paper before game one starts, this lines up to be an incredibly compelling world series. Yeah. There's uh tons of talent on both sides, tons of personalities and tons of storylines to weave in and out to hopefully a long series. And, and that's where we get to right now tab. And that is who you got. And I'll start off. Um, personally, no real investment in either of these teams. Everybody, nutty, everybody knows my thoughts on the Astros. And as far as the Braves, hey, I think it's um, just a great team story for them, team organization story for them to get here. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Astros as much as it pains me. But I just think they're going to ultimately have more power, more take here, and, and ultimately win the series. I think it's going to go five, Tab. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and then um, I, I would just love to see Dusty get the win, you know, more than anything. I w- I'd love to see this. And it's no disrespect to the Braves. It's no dis- uh, disrespect to Snitker. I think they've had just the fan. They they deserve to be here. Uh, it's it's going to be great. I as, a, a, I, as a baseball fan, like I said, I'm going to watch this, uh, you know, alluding to you talking about the, the time starts here. I'm looking, uh, you know, I can't wait to my son – He's, he's real young. He's going to be nine uh, next March, but uh, he's really just gotten to baseball, um, you know, just to the point. First time, you know, taking it out to the park. We're playing wiffle ball in the backyard now where he's swinging. He loves it, and I want him to see the, you know, the opening ceremonies tonight, the um, national anthem, everything, all that vibe, and I think that's, you know, as me and you as kids growing up and now into grown men, uh, the experience of just watching uh, the World Series and what what this is all about. I want, uh, I'm looking forward to giving my son that. And the fact that it starts at 8 o'clock is great. And I also want to make a note that uh, Fox's baseball coverage has been incredible, especially the, the, the TV angles, man. They've got new stuff bringing you on the baseline. So it's it's really good stuff. So, look, I'm going to just simply take uh, the Astros here, and it's more of a, uh, 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 a heart thing for me for Dusty Baker um, it'll, it'll pain me as a Yankee fan to see Altuve and the rest of those guys hoist that over their, uh, shoulders if they do. But for the sake of Dusty, I'll take one for the team there, Tab, you know? 
But um, who's, who's your MVP? So Houston in five. Who's who's the World Series MVP? I think Altuve. Who gets the do shiny it. new car? You going Altuve? Yeah, I think he's just. You know, this is. You know, with all the cheating and everything else aside, he's always just been a big game player. You know, when they have won and have success, he's been a huge part of it. And uh, I have to, uh, I have to give him the credit there. So that's I'm going to take him and Dusty, and um, and like I said, and then I'll I'll just look forward to pitches and catches real quick for the Yanks. And you've got to get in clinched on Halloween. So good luck with the partying there. Yes. Because um, <laughs> then so, I can focus on hockey season. There you go. <laughs> um, so. I like everything that you said. I want to root for Dusty. Uh, I do agree that the Astros have got a, a team that's built to win again a second time. In Atlanta, for many of these guys, it's their first go-round, and so it'll be new for them. However, put bold on that in all caps, however, um, I think the fact that you will have the largest media contingent that either one of these teams have to deal with for the entire year in front of them is a different element. And I think that the Atlanta Braves are playing a little bit with house money here. And the Houston Astros are going to have to answer legacy questions this entire series. I think that this World Series means more to the Houston Astros players yes, absolutely. than Dusty, or it does to the Braves. Why? Because the first time they wanted it cheated, and people want to put an asterisk on that championship. People want to take it away. No one wants to consider it a valid championship because they admitted they cheated. And I think for the Astros, there's more pressure to win one honestly and legitimately than there is on the Atlanta Braves. And I think that that pressure weighs on people. And even though Dusty's an incredible manager... There's different pressure on him. This isn't his first rodeo. This isn't his first team getting to the dance, and he hasn't won it yet. And as much as he's comfortable with what his legacy is, this is a legacy play for Dusty Baker as well. And I think a lot of people look at the Braves and they're like, eh, you know what, Rosario leaves after this year. He's on a one-year deal. They slide Ronald Acuna Jr., who may have been the MVP of the first half, back into right field and move whomever they've got over to left, and they, they're adding something next year. Albies is still a young dude. Swanson's a young dude. I think everyone expects Freddie Freeman to re-sign with Atlanta. Carlos Correa is a free agent after this year, too. So it's a big deal for him because he's looking at a payday after this World Series as well. So I feel like it, there's less pressure on the Braves. I feel like they're playing with house money. I don't think Snicker has to answer legacy questions. I don't think the players have to answer questions about the legitimacy of winning at this time. And I think that's going to, even though the Astros have put up a great facade and they've bunkered down and they've been able to be us against the world to this point, I think it's going to be really hard for the Astros to avoid the narratives around them. And for those reasons, I'm going to say that the Atlanta Braves win the World Series in six, and I'm going to go with Ozzie Albies, as the World Series MVP, the diminutive, maybe five foot five. He and he and Altuve might be able to look each other in the eye, and that'll be fun for both of them because usually it's belt buckles when you've got a guy like Freeman or Stanton or Judge out there next to him. Uh, but I'm going to go Ozzy Albies as the World Series MVP, and Braves in six. Uh, and I, I just, I, I really like that Atlanta is playing really free and loose baseball, and I think they're going to be able to continue doing that in the World Series. And for the Astros, everything is on the line now. 
Oh, they, no. the enti- if you talk Altuve, his Hall of Fame candidacy is on the line right now. Yes. Alex Bregman as a viable MVP candidate is on the line right now. Carlos Correa going into free agency, financial implications are on the line right now. There is a lot on the shoulders of the Houston Astros right now. And for the Braves, it's our first dance. Max Fried's young. Ian Anderson's young. They've got Mike Soroka coming back from another Achilles next year. they got Acuna coming back from the ACL next year. I think if you're in Atlanta, you think, which is foolish as a Cubs fan who only got to see them go to one with a young team, that this is your first of what could be multiple. And, and there is people want to talk to the Astros about legacy. They want to talk to the Astros about doing it clean. People want to talk to the Atlanta Braves about, hey, it's your first time here. What's the atmosphere like? They're fun questions. Questions aren't fun for the Astros, and they're going to get old. And we'll see if they get salty. And we'll, we'll see how much of a chip they have on their shoulder. And I think the series starting in Houston benefits them, but when they get on the road, it ain't going to be pretty, and it ain't going to be nice. And you're right. There's a lot of people in this league and in this country that are not on the Astros bandwagon at all. And they've been able to play with the weight thus far. I will be, you know, I hope Dusty gets one. I really do. But I just think that right now, with this team as it's put together, there's a lot of weight on these guys, and I think that that weight's going to take a toll. And so for those reasons, Braves in six, Ozzy Albies is your MVP. I love like watching that kid play. I like it. Now, look, I would love nothing more for the Braves to win this series. I have no problem with them. I think they play great baseball. I think it's going to be some fun stuff. I would love to see the Astros sweat, all those guys you mentioned. I'm into it. I'm into all that. I think this is the other thing, too. And you talk about legacy. The Atlanta Braves as an organization here, too. Even their 95 championship, right? Shortened season that year, you know? Uh, all the times they got to the dance, didn't win. They haven't. They've got three World Series, right? I believe, in terms of their history, right? They, they, they only won one when they had that loaded team in the 90s. And they went every year. Exactly. Yeah, so. But, but I think the, the good thing is that these guys aren't playing with the same pressure that Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox did. The expectation was that those Braves, who, again, I, I brought up the Kirby Puckett World Series, that was before Maddox even joined the Braves. He was still a Chicago Cub at that point. These guys don't have to make up for the history of those teams coming up short all but once. And I think these Astros do have to make up for the championship, ironically, that they won because it was them. Yes. That's what I'm getting at. I mean, the organization itself, too, because I don't care what anybody says, especially, you know, uh, you know, being here and watching the, the Mets over the years and the National League East and all that other stuff. The Braves, I think, is an organization. I, I'm not saying it's terribly tarnished or anything like that, but I, I believe that's a little bit of a monkey on their back as an organization. From those 90 teams, you know, you look at, you know, compared to say what, you know, and the Buffalo Bills back in the 90s, those teams didn't win anything. Right. And they're always going to have that. I mean, uh, you know, as an organization, the Bills just even just making the playoffs or whatever. But I think this is, you know, you bring up the legacy thing, too. I think, you know, this would be an incredible win for the Atlanta Braves organization. And I yeah, definitely absolutely. feel they have a they have a, a chance at this series. I know. I, I just think ultimately, you know, just on paper, the players and all that stuff, but, uh, you know, the Astros will come out on top here. But I would be, I will be dancing in the streets if the Braves win this series. I think it'll be, uh, 
awesome because I'm all for all that other stuff that you talked about with those guys outside of the Dusty Baker thing. So, yeah, you well, know, I, I, but again, I think the I think guys in in professional sports do a very good job of compartmentalizing themselves within the larger narratives. You know, I, I, when you look at the the Boston Celtics with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen when they won a championship together, obviously they had to answer the questions about the Red Auerbach era guys, but they were very quick to say, "I'm not Larry Bird, I'm not Bill Russell, I'm Paul Pierce," mm-hmm. and I think that these none of these guys were there when David Justice was doing his thing. None of them overlap. See him jumping with, on the bandwagon on Twitter. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, but but no, none of these guys. None of these guys. I, I think Freddie might have played with Chipper a little bit, but you know the Chipper Andrew Jones days are are before these guys. So while there is the historical narrative of the Atlanta Braves getting into the postseason and not winning at all, I don't think that these guys really feel that pressure. No, because it's a completely that. new team. But I think the organization, maybe you know, the franchise. Yeah. Oh, I, I think if you're the owner, you're like, yeah, it would be nice to get a second one. What the hell? But I think if you're if you're the players, you're able to separate the 90s from what you're trying to do right now. The Astros players cannot separate what they did in 2017 from who they are today. And that's the biggest difference. I, I think one one group of players is fighting against their personal legacies Yes, and you know Alvarez was not there. None of the guys pitching. I I think Urquidy might have come out of the bullpen, but like Valdez Garcia, these these guys were teenagers. None of them have any skin in that game. Kyle Tucker wasn't there, but the whole infield was there. And those are the guys that you look at and you lean on, and those are the guys that you expect to do the thing. Those are the guys that are going to win the World Series for you if you're the Houston Astros. And those are the guys that the questions are being asked of and the fingers are being pointed at. And so I think one group, yes, there's a larger legacy that they'll be playing within. And this will be a new chapter to the ultimate narrative of the Atlanta Braves history. But these guys are carving out their own chapter within a much bigger book. For the Houston Astros, they went to the World Series in 05 and got it handed to them by the Chicago White Sox. Don't tell ESPN because they forget that the Sox ever went. But... (laughs) They went and won it with this group, and now they have to prove that they can do it without the garbage cans, the Todd Rundgren, if you will. <laughs> so um, so when you talk about chasing larger narratives, this is much more specifically pointed at the Astros' core group than it is the Braves. And I think, yeah, you can talk about Freddie Freeman being an MVP and chasing free agency and that kind of stuff. And Jock Peterson got a ring in L.A. last year, so he's not like 0 for 4 in the World Series at all. For a lot of these guys, it's their first dance. And having it be their first dance, they can sit back and enjoy it. And the nice thing for the Braves is, as we said, with most of the country hating the Astros because of what they did, the Braves will be the good guys for most of the viewing audience. Mm -hmm. For most of the viewing public, the Braves are the good guys. And, you know, they were the evil empire for a while there with Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz because of the pitching staff that they had and the way that they were turning out studs at every position every year, it felt like. And now it's a completely different thing. And also, I think if you're a guy like Acuna and you're chasing that MVP status and you're climbing like a Tatis, I think for a guy like him, there's more pressure to show up under the bright lights. Having a hodgepodge outfield that you put together at the deadline, you're you're renting your outfield pretty much. And that that's that's a big deal. But again, 
no one's asking Dansby Swanson about going into free agency and what this means for his legacy as a player. Nobody. But that's the question that Carlos Correa's got to answer. And I think Freddie Freeman's pretty comfortable that Atlanta will give him what he needs to be a happy first baseman for the Braves for the rest of his career, and he'll stay there. But but people are asking Altuve, like, your Hall of Fame candidacy rides on you having another big October. And he has, to his credit. But can he do it now? And I think that the pressure of that career-defining, moving the narrative past the cheating scandal is huge for the Houston Astros. And so that's why I'm saying Atlanta and six. I think being the good guys and playing with house money is going to benefit them, and they'll be able to ride off into the sunset. No, it's, it's, it's good stuff. I mean, look, I mean, any way you look at it, you know, again, you know, two guys like us from Chicago and New York, and, and you know, we both predicted our home teams to to get there as far as the White Sox and the Yankees, and, and you know, we get to look at this series, and, and, and here it is. This this has been a great regular season. The playoffs have been fantastic. Uh, I, there's no doubt you have the two best teams in the World Series. They They've earned it. Uh, and it's going to be great to uh, kind of pan out here uh, over the next uh, week and a half. So uh, I've got Astros in five. Tab's got the Braves in six. And the game start. And, Tab, we're either going to have uh, one more show or two more shows. We're going to be either previewing a game seven next week or um, we'll be doing a season wrap if it goes five, like I predict, at least. There will be a post-mortem. Yes, post-mortem. Officially, we'll... Lock the gates on the LDR season. But it's not over yet, baby. We still got ball to watch. All starts tonight, man. So, I mean, look, as a, if you can reflect back yourself as a kid, man, I mean, outside of all the analytics and the prediction and all that stuff, you love this, right? Got to love this time of the year and, and, and watching this series about to take off. Absolutely. I can't wait for the World Series to start. I think it's going to be exciting. You've got two really good teams that deserve to be there. And I'm hoping that the TV ratings reflect that the country is excited for a really good championship round. Uh, because I think if you don't watch these games, you're going to miss out because I think this is going to be one hell of a World Series. Don't miss it, folks. Don't be one of those fans that, ah, oh, I didn't bother watching. You might see some history here. It always happens in the World Series. And if you're at the game, put the cell phones down. Watch it. Experience it. Live it. It's always going to be on YouTube in the highlights. You don't have to tape it. Watch the game. All right, Tab, as always, take us out. Say goodbye to the folks. All right, folks, if you're excited about the World Series, if you hate the Astros, if you love the Braves, if you hate the Braves and love the Astros, if you don't give a rat's ass who wins, enjoy this World Series because this is the last baseball we get for the 2021 calendar year. Play ball, everybody. Enjoy. We'll be back next week. Enjoy the games. Watch it with your kids. It's all good stuff. Line Drive Radio is out. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. Take care, everybody. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. 
just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.